Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Pensacola, Florida, it's time for Pensacola Business Radio. Now, here are your Business Radio X hosts. Good morning, everybody. This is Colleen Edwards-Chesley, and you are listening to Women in Leadership by Powerful Women of the Gulf Coast, sponsored by Pensacola Business Radio X. I am super excited. We've got an amazing guest in our studio today, and I will introduce her in just a minute. But before that, I just want to tell our audience a little bit more information about the organization. Powerful Women of the Gulf Coast is based right here in Pensacola, Florida, and we operate with a mission of promoting, advancing, and improving women in business. We do that in a number of different ways. One way we do that is monthly networking meetings. So we meet both in Pensacola and also in Gulf Breeze, just with the main objective of putting women together, providing an arena for them to talk about business information, build relationships, learn to build mentoring um, opportunities within each other and have opportunities to share business, whether it's business, actually trading business between uh, different individuals or whether it's learning business skills or having just a, a more of an opportunity to talk about some of the challenges and some of the struggles or some of the opportunities that they're all facing in business. So we enjoy that. If you want to see more information about our monthly meetings, you can go to our Facebook page. It's called Powerful Women of the Gulf Coast on Facebook. And usually we have our events posted there and we welcome any women to come to those meetings. They are free. So no attendance or no requirement to um, to pay to attend the meetings. We do also offer membership in the organization if you want to be a little bit more active. So you can check that out as well. Another opportunity that we have with the organization is we do a quarterly magazine called Powerful Women of the Gulf Coast. We've got another edition coming out in the next several weeks. So we're real excited about that. And my guest today actually was a contributor in our third edition of the magazine. And she wrote an amazing article that is helpful for employers when it comes to issues with dealing with employees and some of the main, some of the kind of the high points of of what you want to be conscious of in the employment world. So we love that opportunity with the magazine. If you want to check out that article, like I said, it was in our third edition. And you can check that out on our website, which is PowerfulWomenGulfCoast.com. The other opportunity that we have with the organization is an annual conference. We are proud that we just gave the Gulf Coast Kids House a check from our last conference for $3,060. And that represents 80% of our total profits for the conference. So we were very excited to do that. That just happened about a week ago that we were able to give them that. And they are going to use those funds to replace all of the chairs in their conference room. If you've ever been to the Gulf Coast Kids House, they have had chairs for about 10 years, and, and I found out they actually inherited those chairs from Gulf Power, who used them for many years before them. But they are wooden. They have no cushions. They are very heavy. They're not stackable. So it makes it a, a, a difficult for them to open up that room for other groups that might want to change the configuration or, or just to, to even move the chairs out for ho- um, holiday festivities or any other type of event that they would want to have in that room that they don't need those those chairs sitting there. So we're excited. We hope that they will be purchasing the new chairs and hopefully we'll be seeing those in the next few months for the Gulf Coast Kids House. And then the other opportunity that we have with Powerful Women of the Gulf Coast is a new uh, project that we started last year called Power Up. And that is an educational series where we spend 12 weeks 
sitting um, in a live classroom and people can attend. You can be a female or you can be a male to attend the classes. And we go through four different areas of development. So we talk about business efficiency. We talk about marketing. We talk about sales skills. And we also talk about networking. So we break those four topics down into three classes each. And we really do a lot of um, intense educational information. Just a lot of tips that, that I share. I happen to be the facilitator of the classes. And I share a lot of tips from what I've learned in my years of being in business, whether it's it's the stuff that's worked really well or the stuff that that might not have worked well for me, but might work for somebody else in the room. Plus, it's an opportunity for attendees to engage with each other and help share business information. If you're interested in the next series, we've got the challenge number three starting, and that will be starting the last week in January. So you can definitely go to our Facebook page and find out more information about that as well. So again, on Facebook, it's Powerful Women of the Gulf Coast. And our website is PowerfulWomenGulfCoast.com. And now I'd like to introduce our amazing guest today. Amy Remington is somebody I've known for several years now. She actually spoke for us at last year's conference, not not the 2016 one, but 2015. And she did an amazing presentation on Title VII of the, I believe that was Title VII of the Civil Rights Act. And it was about women and their role now that they have elevated themselves in a professional position in business. But what are their rights and responsibilities according to Title VII? Uh, Amy is the general counsel for Landrum Human Resources Company. And they actually have three different pieces that make up that that company. They've got Landrum Professional, which handles a lot more of the, the longer term employees. Um, Landrum Staffing helps with employees or employers that need shorter term or more, I would say, temporary type positions. And I'll have Amy clarify if I'm getting any of this um, incorrect. And then a third piece that I had no idea about, land consulting. So not land consulting. I bet this is going to be Landrum Consulting, which I did know that that you guys did it as well. But for as the general counsel, Amy is responsible for all business and employment related legal issues. But she is the most non attorney sounding attorney that I've that I've ever known. Um, but brilliant and amazing and full of great information. She's also um, married and she has a an amazing husband Scott. And I say amazing because she actually put that on here that he is amazing and funniest guy she knows. And they have three children um, and they are very involved with their children. So typically you can see them a lot of times out of the ball field or at the park. Um, and they they do work a lot with sharing the responsibilities for the children since they are both professionals and, and your husband's an attorney as well. So welcome, Amy. Hey, good morning. Good morning. I am so glad you're here. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Tell me a little bit more about Landrum and maybe some of the pieces that I might have left out. Well, you did a great job. Um, like you said, we have three different businesses under the Landrum Human Resources umbrella. The first is Landrum Professional, which is called a PEO or a Professional Employer Organization. And what we do is we take um, companies around town or around the country. We're actually in 47 states. Um, and there, those uh, businesses, employees become our employees. And we handle all the taxes, all the W-2 issues, all the nine, I-9 issues. Um, we provide full service human resources and all kinds of things so that that client of Landrum Professional can focus on simply running their business. Right. And then Landrum Staffing is, as you said, a traditional staffing company, but it's so much more than that. They also do recruitment and placement and long-term placement. Um, so they're very, very well-versed in all of the um, employment areas as well. 
and Landrum Staffing actually has offices in Pensacola and in uh, Fort Walton Beach. Okay. And I then Landrum Consulting mm-hmm. is our consulting branch where if you simply need um, something short term, maybe an investigation on a sexual harassment complaint or maybe um, a policy reviewed or something like that, but it's just a very narrow snippet, um, Landrum Consulting can come in and do that one time project for you. Um, and actually, our business now has five offices in three different states the, under the Landrum umbrella. But we service clients, as I said, in about 47 states, and we've got about 600 different clients. Um, so we're doing a lot of different stuff, and it's a great, exciting time, and there's a lot of growth. Absolutely. I had no idea you guys were in 48 states. Yeah, it keeps That's us amazing. busy. Absolutely. And I know, you know, as an attorney, as general counsel, um, when it comes to employment issues, obviously we don't we don't want to have to to put procedures in place, put processes in place. But how vital is that in today's world with employment issues and and all the different laws that have to be abided? How how important is it for an employer to actually utilize somebody like Landrum, or can they kind of do it themselves? <laughs> Um, they should not do it themselves. Uh, <laughs> no, I made a list recently of all the federal laws that affect employers of various sizes, and I listed about 38. Wow. And so it, it, a lot of it depends on what your size. Um, but generally, if you have um, any employees at all, you're going to be subject to a variety of state and federal laws. And in many cases, municipality laws as well, mm-hmm. um, various ordinances. So if you're not comfortable with... Um, you know, um, talking about sex, color, race, religion, national origin, if you're not sure about age or marital status or handicap, if you're not sure about usage of social media, if you're not sure about what you can put on social media, or if you're not sure what the National Labor Relations Board position is on letting somebody go because of a public statement, um, if you aren't absolutely sure you're using E-Verify or running your I-9 properly, and then the U.S. Immigration and Customs Enforcement, the USCIS can come in. If you're not 100% versed in all of those, you probably need to call Landrum. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's amazing because um, I, I remember, you know, back in back in when I was early in my employment career, um, I didn't know many companies that utilized an outside firm for things like this. It was always you went to the HR person and they gave you the packet of information and there, you know, there just wasn't a lot to it. But it a lot of that's changed. Well, and a lot of our clients do have internal human resources professionals that are very, very, very competent and very well versed. Mm-hmm. Um, but that person may not be well versed in every single topic. Mm-hmm. And the beauty of a landrum is we do have somebody who's an expert in wage and hour, and we have somebody else who's an expert mm-hmm. in uh, drug free workplace. And we have somebody else who's an expert on uh, the form I-9, which is changing um, mm-hmm. just next week. It's a brand new form. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have somebody else who's an expert on social media. And we have somebody else who's an expert on uh, long-term temporary placement. We have somebody else who's an expert on how to hire and what the appropriate interview questions are. So mm-hmm. there are almost any question that a client or an employer has, we have somebody who knows the answer or knows how to get the answer. And that's the beauty of having 125 internal employees mm-hmm. is we have a lot of experts in a lot of fields. Um, yeah. We, for example, just hired a benefits attorney who is an ERISA expert and she is just great. And it's been wonderful to have her on staff because that's mm-hmm. an area of my weakness. Mm-hmm. And so it's great to know that I'm getting the best answer from her. Mm-hmm. So our clients mm-hmm. are really well covered and that there's almost, um, it's always fun to hear clients ask questions because we can almost always figure out the answer. And if we don't know the answer, we know where to go, whether it's a state resource, a federal resource, our state organization, our national mm-hmm. organization, um, 
other colleagues in our um, PEO world or in our staffing world, mm-hmm. um, we can we can find somebody who can get the right answer. Well, and like you just said, it's the right answer. It's not just you know the the an an answer. I mean, it's actually the correct answer because when you're dealing with employment issues, you don't really have an opportunity to kind of redo that conversation. Usually those types of things, you want to know exactly what you're supposed to say, or I would think an employer would want to know, you know, exactly what they're supposed to say and have that guidance from an expert. So, you know, having somebody like Landrum is putting all of those experts under, under an employee or employer's ability to tap into without having to put all of those people actually physically in their, in their business. Well, and I think one thing to remember is that when you are talking to an employee, uh, particularly if it's about um, a compensation adjustment upward or downward, or if it's about a, um, a potentially a demotion or a disciplinary issue or something like that, mm-hmm. the employer may have eight of those things happening in one day. But for that employee, that is the single most important conversation they're probably going to have that day. And so it's really important that employers be prepared for that understand Mm -hmm. what they're allowed to say, understand what the right thing is to say, understand how to say it in a kind and tactful manner um, so that the employee can hear the message and digest the message, whatever it is, because that's going to be probably the most important thing to happen to that employee Mm -hmm. that day, even though the employer may have four other people waiting in line right behind them. Right. Um, I think it's really important because jobs, second to family, um, mm-hmm. are about the most important thing an employee has. I mean, because Absolutely. especially if they carry their health insurance or their mm-hmm. 401k, mm-hmm. Um, that financial security for their family, that's super, super important. And mm-hmm. I think one thing we can bring to the table is we can help employers um, come up with language to have these conversations, even if they're uncomfortable conversations, mm-hmm. but to have these conversations with employees so the employees understand what you're trying to communicate, understand if there's areas for improvement and understand the consequences uh, without having any, um, while staying on the right side of the law. Right. And like you said, I mean, this is important to the employees. It's important to the employers. And most of the time, like you mentioned, it's not a comfortable conversation. It's not a conversation that that employers have had a lot of maybe practice with. And so, you know, it does have to be handled tactfully and it has to be handled correctly. And and yet it has to be handled um, honestly without giving too, inf- too much information sometimes too. Right. And, you know, one thing I always recommend for employers if they're having one of these conversations is to write a script mm-hmm. because it's very easy to get sidetracked on the what ifs or the emotional side mm-hmm. um, or to unintentionally derail a conversation. Mm-hmm. But it's important to have a script so that you stay on point and so that you remember to make all your points. For example, if I say, you know, Colleen, I'm letting you go because you've been late four times, you might stop listening after I'm letting you go. Mm -hmm. But if I can continue with, remember in January when you did this, and February when I canceled you, and in March when you did this, um, then I can re-engage you. And then further down the road, if you were to take the position that I let you go for some other reason, I would have a tangible record of what we discussed and the why behind it Mm -hmm. and what my legitimate business reason was for my decision um, so that three months down the road or six months down the road, whether it's in a lawsuit or an unemployment hearing or um, a request for a rehire, that I would remember what exactly our conversation was. Mm-hmm. And it keeps it on track. Absolutely. Well, and documentation is super important. But like you said, being thorough, I think makes a difference too, because you're right. Somebody hears those words and all of a sudden they are tuned out because they're thinking, what am I going to do? Health insurance. I've got to go home and tell my husband. 
you know, what about my childcare? You know, there's a lot of other things immediately that your brain goes to, but then, you know, re-engaging them back in that conversation and reminding them of those issues or, you know, documenting all those different points probably does, you know, make sure that, that it's an honest conversation between both parties. And I think your point about health insurance is great because when, especially if you're talking about losing your job Mm -hmm. and you're letting somebody know that their first thought might be, how do I pay my mortgage? When's my last paycheck? Is there a severance package? Do I have health? And all these thoughts are going through their Mm -hmm. head. But if you're prepared to answer those questions, and you should be, you should, the person who's having the conversation should know, do they have health insurance? When does COBRA kick in? What is our COBRA policy? Is it a third party administrator or does it get mailed from our office? Um, Do they have paid time off that they'll receive a check for? Is there a severance package? Um, Is there a 401k rollover that they're required to do? The person doing the termination should have all of that, including things like, um, gosh, do they have company keys? Do they have personal items? Mm-hmm. Is the timing of this conversation good? Mm-hmm. You know, you probably don't want to do it Wednesday at 10 a.m. Right. When they have to go clean out their desk in front of their colleagues. There's right. a, a better, more tactful, kinder way to do it. Yeah. Um, Can I ask you an employment question? Sure. Now I've got you on the hook. Yeah. Are you going to bill me? I might. Oh, no. <laughs> Depends how hard it is. <laughs> okay. This is an easy one probably for you. But um, I always heard, you know, as far as timing, that just made me think of something right away. Um, I've always been under the theory that, you know, if you're going to let somebody go, you let them go on Friday at the end of the day. But then somebody said that's the worst time to do it because then they have all weekend to, to you know, to to be upset and to not be able to do anything until Monday comes around. So what is the best time of the week to let somebody go? Yeah. So, so it feels rotten on both sides of the conversation. Um, but I think the best time to let somebody go is a Thursday afternoon because, um, and, and towards the end of the day when you can escort them out and, mm-hmm. and help them clean out their desk so they're not embarrassed because you mm-hmm. don't ever want to do sure. that. Um, but then on Friday they can immediately go. And if they're qualified for unemployment, they can start mm-hmm. that. They mm-hmm. can start job searching. They can mm-hmm. start networking. Yeah. Um, they can, you know, they, they, there's, there are some proactive things they can do mm-hmm. on a Friday. Mm-hmm. And then they can kind of have the weekend to regroup. Right. Right. So I think a Thursday is better than a Friday. I, yeah. I agree. I wouldn't want to fire somebody Friday afternoon and have them just stew or worry all weekend because the banks aren't even open. Or head to the bar. Yeah, or the the banks aren't even open. They can't Mm -hmm. even, you know, if they needed Mm -hmm. to go move some money around from savings to checking or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But if you're able to have the conversation on a Thursday and say, okay, your next paycheck will be this. It Mm -hmm. will be for this amount because you'll be paid through here or Mm -hmm. you have a severance agreement, you have eight days to consider it or whatever Mm -hmm. it is. They could go see a lawyer on Friday. They could go to unemployment on Friday. They could... Um, there are so many things they could do on Friday that give them the impression that you're not playing hide the ball. Right. Right. Exactly. Or not giving them an opportunity, like you said, to, to be able to do something. Yes. To start networking to, you know, um, I know of one person who was laid off as part of a mass layoff Mm -hmm. and uh, she received the new phone on Thursday and Friday she was in our office. And she said, what, you know, Lander staffing, Mm -hmm. what can you do to help Mm me? And that was a great thing because by Monday, she was placed somewhere. Oh, yeah. But if we had let her go on Friday, she would have had to wait Saturday, Sunday, come to us on Monday and mm-hmm. maybe not get placed till Tuesday. Mm-hmm. But this way, literally, she had one day where she didn't work and then she was replaced and then at she work. Was, and that's such a different mindset going into, you know, obviously, you know, if you are let go, that's not a you know pleasant thing to have happen. So being able to have something proactive happen right behind it takes less of the pressure off of, of the event and puts more pressure, more opportunity on what the future might hold. Well, and one of the beauties of the uh, our 
uh, trifecta of professional staffing and consulting is that if a professional client, a landing professional client has a layoff, for example, Mm -hmm. and they're laying off, say, 10 people because they've lost a certain clientele and they just can't justify this in their organization any longer, Mm -hmm. um, they, uh, the professional clients often call landing staffing ahead of time and say, hey, I just want to let you know I'm going to lay off these 10 people. I wish I didn't have to. They're fantastic workers. Can you help them? And they go ahead and then part of the conversation is, yes, you're being laid off, but guess what? I've already got an appointment for you at Landrum Staffing at mm-hmm. 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. And that's a message that resonates because Absolutely. it says a couple of things. It says, I care about you as a human being. Mm-hmm. I don't want you to fall on your face. I want to help you out. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they're a great employee, Landrum Staffing would love to know about them. Absolutely. Yeah. And and sometimes people don't get let go because, you know, they're not a good employee, it's because sometimes it's just a wrong fit or, or, you know, something else happens. So I think that's great. I'm going to ask you another one. I already know the answer to this one. So you can't bill me on this one. Okay. (laughs) But this was one that surprised me because I've always heard this the other way and you corrected it, it and, and really opened my eyes on it. But I was always under the impression that when you're looking at a new employee or if you're a prospective employee for somebody else, that, um, the first thing you're going to do is Google and look at their social media. And you're the one that corrected me that that is the worst thing that an employer should do. So help the audience understand why that's that's not a good thing to do as an employer. Well, okay. So if you get a resume and mm-hmm. it has Amy Remington and it has my, you know, Florida State Law School, 1997, mm-hmm. that you might be able to deduce that I'm a female from the name. Mm-hmm. Um, you probably couldn't figure out whether I was married. Nope. You wouldn't know what color my skin was. Yep. If you had um, kids. But you would know my qualifications simply Mm -hmm. only that I've been practicing law for this long. Mm -hmm. So it would give you just a sliver of information about me. And the resume hopefully would beef up some of those things, Mm -hmm. but the resume would all be skills oriented. Right. But but the moment you call my my Facebook account or any social media account, you probably figure out really quickly that I'm married Mm -hmm. and that I have children. Mm -hmm. Um, You'd figure out my race. Mm -hmm. Um, For many people, you'd probably figure out their religion. Yep. For many people, you'd probably figure out their political affiliation um, or if age. they're, they, you'd probably be able to deduce within 10 years what their mm-hmm. age probably is. Mm-hmm. Um, so all these things that, um, whether I'm or my husband would be in the military, all these things that are protected statuses, whether we have a disability of any sort, you might be able to deduce from pictures. Mm-hmm. So it tells you a lot of things about somebody that are completely unrelated to the job that are unrelated to the skill set that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So in my mind, it's better to focus on the skill set and the resume and stick with during the interview skill-based questions. Mm-hmm. Do you know this program? Can you work these hours? Right. Have you ever managed this number of people? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Mm-hmm. Because whether somebody has um, seven children, zero children, married, unmarried, skin color, none of that matters. What matters mm-hmm. is what is on that that um, job requirement sheet mm-hmm. and can, do they have those skills? Mm-hmm. That's the only thing that matters. Absolutely. Absolutely. And the reason that's important is because once you know their age and their race and their religion and all those other pieces, then you can make decisions that um, dis- discriminate right. one or another you know, potential employee. Does that mean that employees shouldn't care what's on their social media pages? No, that's a great question, too. Um, so... I don't think that anybody should put anything on social media that would reveal illegal activity. For example, um, I do know of one business who 
offered employment to somebody. They went through the right process. They mm-hmm. did um, the skill-based interview. They got the resume. They did the background check. This person passed all of these things. Mm-hmm. And then they did a contingent offer of employment saying, now we're going to look at your social media page. Mm-hmm. And what they were looking for was illegal activity. Mm-hmm. And what they found was that this was a young person fresh out of law school who had a bongs, <laughs> plural bongs on his um social media where it was clear that that's what he was doing. And they said, this is not, you know, this is not consistent with our values. We don't want uh, a lawyer that we know is, you know, smoking pot. Right. So they, they withdrew the offer. So they had already offered him employment and Mm -hmm. had the person not accepted at this point or they had given him a contingent offer. Okay. So contingent on this second Mm -hmm. step. So at that second step, that's when they could actually research that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But still, wow. I still, I still probably wouldn't want to know what's on social media. Instead, I think no. the better, I think the better way to have handled that might have been to have said, um, here's our culture. You have to do a drug free workplace. You have mm-hmm. to do a drug test. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you're ever found to be using illegal substances, we don't mm-hmm. tolerate that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there were better ways to handle it. Mm-hmm. But the long and the short is that, you know, social media is out there forever. It's your mm-hmm. footprint. I think people are finally catching on to that. Oh, yeah. Um, I certainly hope all teenagers are catching on to that. Yeah. <laughs> I hope yeah. so. I'm very glad that Facebook was not around when I was much, much younger. I think everybody all right, yeah. says that. Not, not that there was anything in there, but I still don't want my pictures of me when I was a baby in the bathtub. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just, yeah, I feel for our youth today that yes. their entire lives have been public and documented documented documented. forever yes yes well awesome i could talk to you all day about probably employee and employee employer issues but you do a lot of speaking around town don't you i educate employers and to really just educate the general public about some of these issues i do it's one of my favorite parts of my job in fact this year i'm scheduled to i'm headed to atlanta and then i'm doing one at the chamber of commerce then i'm doing one in dc and uh two other travels on the schedule for speaking and I can't remember where they are at the moment. Wow. Wow. So that's awesome. And I think it's much needed because there's so many of these issues that are complicated that they change over time and that are, you know, vitally important for employers. So thank you. They're constantly evolving. And especially Mm -hmm. as the administration changes, it'll be very interesting to see how things evolve. Um, Like, for example, last year, I spoke probably a dozen times to a dozen different groups around the country on the Fair Labor Standards Act and all the changes coming down in there. And um, and then all of that changed in one day Mm -hmm. and uh, nobody was more surprised than I was. Um, Mm -hmm. And so it's a constantly evolving area of law. And as we get a new administration in, it'll continue Mm -hmm. to evolve. Mm -hmm. Well, look at Obamacare. I remember how many times you spoke on you know, that new healthcare, you know, requirement coming in right. and what the requirements were and how to figure out the formula and how to, you know, I mean, the whole nine yards. And now that's, you know, potentially, you know, going away or or at least being reformed in, in some respect. Right. And one of the so, fun things about speaking, it keeps you busy. Yeah, about speaking in different <laughs> areas of the country is that you take an issue like Obamacare or minimum wage or the Fair Labor Standards Act, and the audiences are very different. The audiences mm-hmm. in Pensacola versus Atlanta versus Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, versus Chicago, very, very different. And so my goal in all these presentations where there are political uh, footballs, if you will, mm-hmm. is that the audience never know what my opinion is. Mm. Um, and, and a lot of these audiences are made up. I was in San Antonio last year and there were like 200 people in the audience and the, the audience was made up of people around the country. So even mm-hmm. within the room, there were many different personalities and mm-hmm. on the 
uh, political spectrum. And so my goal is always if, that if I can give the information in such a manner that they have no idea what my opinion is, mm-hmm. then I've done a good job. Well, that's isn't that the mark of a, a good attorney, a good lawyer. I hope so. Yeah, I hope so. You know, yeah. it's the facts. I'm reporting yeah. the facts. There's I want to give much you the emotion. advice, and mm-hmm. and then I always tell people too, if you don't like this, here's what you can do. Like mm-hmm. here's who you contact. Here's mm-hmm. who's in charge of this. Here's yep. the agency yep. or the legislative body or whatever. Yeah. Um, and if you love it, let them know that too. But yeah. I, I never want to sway somebody with my opinion because I feel like I'm just an information provider. Sure. Um, no, if you ask my opinion, I'll tell you all day long. Oh yeah. I'll, I've got <laughs> lots of advice to give to lots of people, That's but, awesome. um, but with respect to audiences, I feel like they want the information. They don't mm-hmm. want to be lectured. Sure. Absolutely. Well, speaking of opinion, I'm going to pick your brain on a few things. And um, we've eaten up already a lot of time. So like I said, I could I could talk to you all day about this. But I do want to get on some of the other questions that I have for you. And um, because I do know you have serious opinions about this stuff. So let's talk about um, success. And you've been successful. You are a female in business. Um, I don't know that, that your career has always been, you know, roses and unicorns and candy canes. Um, or have there been some things that you have put in place to make sure that you are successful? So talk about some of those habits that maybe you do on a daily basis that really make sure that you stay geared towards success. Well, I've always been um, very goal oriented. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when I was uh, living in Tallahassee prior to law school, I knew I wanted to go to law school and I wasn't quite sure how to get there. Like I didn't know what the the road, the path was to get to law school, but I knew I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. And I was telling a girlfriend this over dinner one night. I said, I really, really want to do this, but I don't exactly know how to do it. And then a year or whatever went by and I bumped into her again. And she said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm in law school. And she's like, oh my gosh, that's exactly what you said you wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And she's like, I've never met somebody who went from A to B and you just did it. And so I've always been very, very goal oriented and kind of long term oriented. Like I don't do a lot for the short term. I kind of I I like to think long term. What is your long term? Like, do you have five year goals or do you have 20 year goals? I would say more like 20 year goals. Do you really? Wow, that is long term. And and, you know, my grandfather taught me that at a very early age, particularly uh, like savings where he was saying, you know, you don't you don't um, you, you save every single day, but you don't save because you're saving, you save because in 20 years you want to be financially independent or able to buy a house or mm-hmm. whatever your goal is. Mm-hmm. Um, but my grandfather kind of taught me that. And I always kind of kept my eye on the prize for, for long term. That's awesome. I'm a little bit different. I have short term goals. So when I come to like, we're at the beginning of the year now. So I have my goals for 2017, but I have quarterly goals. So I always do 90 day goals. And the reason I do that is because I am so much more, I guess, motivated by deadlines. Mm-hmm. And if I only have an annual deadline, I'll wait until towards the very end of the year before I really work on it. But having those long term goals, does it do you tend to delay things or because you know that if you don't do the things today, you're not going to get to that 20 year mark? Do you really look at it, even though you've got the long term perspective, you still have the short term really in, you know, in 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 your target? I do. I do. And and my long-term goal, for example, I'll just give you a for example. Mm -hmm. You know, when each of our children was born, one of the first things I did was set them up with Florida prepaid. And Mm -hmm. because I knew that um, if you, the earlier you did it, Mm -hmm. 18 years later, when they Mm -hmm. went to college, they would have a certain amount of money. And I also knew that I could eat that elephant one bite at a time. And those were very, very small bites. Whereas Mm -hmm. if I waited 18 years and all of a sudden, gosh, they were headed off to college, that's a check I may not be able to write. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to be able to do that. And so that's that's an example of what I mean by a long-term goal. Yeah. 
So Um, they call that the eighth wonder of the world, the power of compounding. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And so by doing, having long-term goals, doing smaller things, shorter term, you don't have to put as much effort out. Right. And so you're able to build on those small, tiny things. And over time, they're going to display really large Mm -hmm. things. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And That's then a and there's a, you know, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Mm-hmm. As you get mm-hmm. closer to your goal, whatever mm-hmm. that is, there's a light at yeah. the end of the tunnel. Yes. Um, there are things I have short term goals on where I feel more motivated. Like, mm-hmm. for example, personally with exercise, mm-hmm. if I know I like to run and if mm-hmm. I know I've got a race coming up at a certain time, mm-hmm. I get real motivated two or three or four months beforehand. Right. Um, but once that race is over, if it's a year before I have another one scheduled, I'm probably going to do you slack back a little yeah, bit? Yeah, a lot. Really? A lot. Okay, good. Yeah. So I'm not the only one that kind of does that. Yeah. Okay. Wow. And and running a race is exactly the same thing. You can't wait until the week before to do all your training. Which I have done and that's been have wildly you? unsuccessful. <laughs> not well. That was probably, I like to do, I think a half marathon is a perfect distance. Yeah. Because it's super challenging for me. Maybe mm-hmm. not for other people, but for me, it's a mm-hmm. long distance. It's mm-hmm. 13 miles. So it's, you know, for me, it's very challenging, but it's yeah. accomplishable. Yeah. Um, but there have been years when I have waited till the very end to, to run it or to practice, mm-hmm. um, to get ready for it. And it's does not turn out pretty. Wow. And then there are other years where you, you know, like I said, eat that elephant one bite at a mm-hmm. time, or in this case, one mile at a time. Right. And at the end you feel like, wow, I feel great. I could do this again tomorrow. Right. Exactly. And it doesn't feel like it was that difficult to do. Right. You know, you've motivated yourself and you've rewarded yourself because it hasn't had to, you know, be something major, right? You know, it, it ends up being, you know, a small amount of effort in in the short term, but in reality, it it was, you know, cumulatively a right. lot of a lot of effort. That's right. awesome, very cool. Well, on that um, on that note, let's talk about some things. Maybe this comes more into the daily motivation for me. I'm an affirmation person, so and when I get up in the morning, I have about eight or ten affirmations that I say to myself. I am, you know, going to do this, or I am this type of person, or and and I just it's part of my programming that I do daily. So, what do you do on a daily basis? Maybe mantras or inspirations, the quotes that motivate you. What are some of them that you fall back to that are kind of some of your favorites? Well, so my sister, who is a lawyer here in town, uh, Mary, had a, one of her dear friends was named Courtney Kaskin. And Courtney was about, gosh, um, he was probably five years older than me. So I thought he just hung the moon. <laughs> when I was like 11, I thought he was just the greatest thing since sliced bread. And um, he was diagnosed very young, very, very young, uh, with cancer. Mm-hmm. And um, so I remember in his high school yearbook, his mantra was seize the day. And the point was he was diagnosed extraordinarily young and he recognized that life was very short. Even, you know, he was he was in high school or early college when this happened, I guess. And so I think that's a great mantra because really we all, nobody knows what tomorrow is going to bring. Right. You know, we can, we can hope for it, we can plan for it, but we're, if we're not enjoying today and making the most of today of every single day with our family and with our friends and with our health and, mm-hmm. um, with our employment, if we're not making the most of today, then, you know, then we're wasting our time. Um, so I don't think we can yeah. control tomorrow and mm-hmm. we can, you know, set long-term goals in hopes that there's a tomorrow. Mm-hmm. But I think we need to recognize that today is just as important. Absolutely. I love that because to me, that's a lot of, of what they talk about with mindfulness. It's about being present in the moment and seizing the day is something that you can, you can seize today and then tomorrow you can get up and seize that day too. But without, you know, it resets yeah. 
every single day. And and still you can balance it with that long-term planning. Mm-hmm. So it's not like mm-hmm. you're just seizing today and spending all your money and... Right. It's not seize today and then go to the beach tomorrow. Right, right, right. right. And get fired the next day. Yeah, right. that's, that's not the way it works. We have to kind of balance those two. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's great. Are there some um, other books, maybe tools that you utilize too as well that, that help keep you focused on success? So yeah, I just read the best book. Uh, my husband recommended it. And in fact, he read it first and liked it so well that he bought a copy for every lawyer in his firm. Mm. And then I read it and then I liked it so much. I got a copy for my dad and I've passed it out to several people. Um, but it's great. It's called The Power of Habit. The Power and of Habit. Do you remember who the author is? I don't. It's got a yellow cover. Okay. Um, perfect. But it's called The Power of Habit. We and have it's Google in softback. These days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's, it's Google. Mm-hmm. And it's in softback. And it was like $10 at Barnes & Noble. But it it's about um, organizational change and creating habits and organizations. But the reason I liked it is it got down to... Um, is the neurology of why we make decisions that we make and whether we're talking about um, it's got examples of gambling addiction or eating addiction or very, very good habits. Um, but it's got an entire section on individual habits, but the structure of the book is designed for companies, organizational habits. And for example, they gave an, uh, one story of um, a huge aluminum company, Reynolds, mm-hmm. the aluminum company, yeah, yeah, yeah. their goal their big goal was to reduce workplace injuries because that was affecting their bottom line. So Mm -hmm. how do we reduce? Well, the question was, how do we better our bottom line? And then they got down to, well, the the driver behind that is workplace injuries. So how do we fix that? And the way they fixed it was by getting people in the habit of safety habits. And the way that they did that was the president of the organization said, here's what we're going to do. From now on, anytime somebody is injured, that supervisor on that shift has to call me personally within 10 minutes. Mm. So that motivated the supervisors to make sure that all of their workers were safe and that all of their workplaces were safe and completely in OSHA compliance um, because nobody wanted to call the president. Right. Nobody wanted to be on the president's radar. Absolutely. But what they ended up doing was increasing their profitability so much because they got rid of the almost zero work injuries. And they also gave another message to the line level workers. And they said, if you are hurt and your supervisor does not contact me and you need to know that they've contacted me, if they don't do that, you contact me directly. Wow. So that that way there was no workaround for the supervisors. The mm-hmm. supervisors couldn't just non-report because mm-hmm. the, employee the employee had an obligation, was, right. the supervisor had an obligation, and the president was in the know. And, um, so they, so it was, it's a great book on institutional habits and creating yeah. positive habits, but it's a lot about the neurology, like the target methodology on how they market to certain people to talk you into buying something you didn't know you needed. Wow. But all of a sudden when you get that marketing piece, you need it. So yeah. it's a lot about the neurology behind your habits. Um, but I think it's just great. It talks about the 30, 60 day, 90 window for creating good habits or, mm-hmm. or creating bad habits. Um, mm-hmm. but they, they, drilled down to individuals uh, to talk about this corporate culture. That's really cool. When you first mentioned that title, I thought it would be, you know, a self-development book. You know, habit is something that I look at. That word even is very personal. Um, But the more you started talking about it, really what you're talking about is is everything we do in, in our business, every rule that we follow, every procedure that we follow, those are all habits. But when you say rule and procedure, it almost sounds like, oh, the, that's the employer's, you know, thing that they have to do. But habit almost makes it 
personal. Mm-hmm. Does it did it kind of kind of sound like that too? That it was involving your own kind of like your your not responsibility because we all have responsibilities in our jobs, but more personal ownership. Yes, over what we're doing. Yes, and that's that's actually a great question because one of the uh, themes throughout the book they take a person who has a gambling addiction problem mm. and they drill down to the neurology behind the gambling addiction and the the cliffhanger question is is it um you know it, was this the responsibility of the particular casino that was doing the marketing to create the habit or did the person have the habit and was it a chicken or the egg right. and how and the truth is it's probably a little bit of both i mean mm-hmm. they the casino may have recognized that somebody was particularly vulnerable and marketed to this person in this way mm-hmm. um in a very very successful way mm-hmm. to help create this habit um but this person is actually suing the casino for creating the habit wow. um, because the person ended up losing the person inherited a million dollars and lost a million dollars all at the casino. Wow. So um, it does drill down to the personal responsibility aspect. And, yeah. and also it talks about even things like uh, night, night terrors and how that becomes a habit in your brain. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were, the theory is if you can get rid of those night terrors, you can change anybody's habits, mm-hmm. but it's, it's mostly about creating good habits and organizations for the right reasons, like reducing workplace injuries. Mm-hmm. That's really cool. I'm going to so, have to check out that book. Yeah, it was now fantastic. I really, now I want to read it. Yeah. That's great. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Amy. This has been amazing. Thank you. We really only got through maybe three of the questions that we were going to talk about. So maybe I'll have to have you on to so we can go through the rest of them. Yes, I always um, love being here. Yeah, well, you would always do such a great job and you're just so full of information. It's amazing. So for our audience, if you want to connect with Amy, we'll have information on our show notes as far as how to contact her and what her role is with Landrum. And if you need to reach out to her, you'll be able to do that through there. And I just really appreciate this. This has been, this has been great. I always get so much information out of you and um, hopefully our audience will take your mantra to heart as well and seize the day. Today is a new day and tomorrow you can seize that one as well. Um, and make sure that you're you're aiming yourselves towards success as well. Yes. Um, and before I let our audience go, just a reminder, Powerful Women of the Gulf Coast, this is our Women in Leadership show. And this is actually show number 10 um, that you're on, Amy. So we appreciate you being here. And this is sponsored by Pensacola Business Radio X. And we appreciate our audience for tuning in. And, and hopefully we'll have you back in the next couple of weeks as well as we have a new guest at that time. Thank you so much, Amy. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you. You too. Thank mm-hmm. you.